Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Genesis of Startups, where we interview brilliant minds in entrepreneurship to explore what it's really like to start a business. Our guest today is Pascal Heliomore, founder and CEO of Super Awards, a multi award winning shopping platform that helps reward women for the $2.2 trillion of unpaid work they do annually. Dubbed Women in Finance Entrepreneur of the Year 2020, Women in Finance Excellence in 2020, and Osmompreneur Big Ideas in 2020, among others. Welcome to the show, Pascal. Thank you for having me, Will. So could you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you're currently doing with Super Awards? Yeah, sure. So my background is in financial services, marketing, and PR. So I've been in financial services for 20, actually, let's not count, but over 20 years. Let's, <laughs> let's just say that. I started to do the maths and then quickly stopped. And the so my previous uh, roles have been at companies like, you know, BT, Financial Group, BNP Paribas, and uh, JP Morgan uh, Asset Management in London. And the theme of my work in marketing and in the marketing teams there was really about building new products or bringing new products to market and, and building brand and, and so on. So I was in a, you know, some pretty senior marketing positions and running quite big budgets. And then I stepped out of corporate life to have uh, children, as, as so many women do. And it was during that time that I thought, oh, you know, I, I really – I want to do something that I that I really am passionate about. You know, what can I do? And so I set up my own uh, custom uh, e-commerce jewelry business, which was a great backgrounder in teaching me how to, you know, work whilst while with children at my feet. In, in addition to being part of startup world and you know running my own business and you know understanding digital and tech a whole lot more and all those sorts of things. So that business eventually uh, led me on to work on other startups and also become advisor to other startups, one of which is a not-for-profit, being the Australian Gender Equality Council. So AJEC, as we call it, is a an independent organisation dedicated to uh, researching and influencing the state of gender equality, or should I say inequality, in Australia. And it was in my time there as Director of Communications, where and actually I'm still Director of Communications, that I really kind of started to understand a lot more about uh, superannuation. So I'd always been a big, you know, consumer, we'll say, of, of superannuation. And I, you know, in my corporate career, I was doing uh, salary sacrifice and top-ups, et cetera, at a time when, you know, simply it just was not trendy to do so. But I, I did it because I... I worked, you know, in the industry and I understood how it all hung together. And then, of course, when, you know, in working overseas, which is where I was with JP Morgan, I, I, I guess I wasn't part of the Australian financial scene, you know, for quite some time. And so then when I came back and then I started understanding more about the superannuation challenges facing women in Australia, I was, you know, a little bit horrified, but... You know, my my super was, you know, in reasonable shape thanks to all the salary sacrifice up that I had done. Now, but it was actually in my uh, time with the council or AJEC that I realised exactly why the super gap was not changing. And just so maybe I'll take a little quick step back and just explain what the super gap is and the uh, factors that contribute to it. So, the superannuation gap means that women. Uh, currently retire with about 58% as much superannuation as men. Wow. 
Yes, and I, I know like everybody throws around statistics these days and wh- what do they all mean, but I, I'll give you a sense of context. So currently women retire with, let's say, $150,000 and men retire with $270,000. Now, these are rounded numbers, but you get the, you get the drift. Now, how much does $150,000 actually, what does it mean for your retirement? Well, it allows you to live for about six years on an, a very modest budget retirement budget of $25,000 a year. Now, here's the kicker. So with with women retiring with enough for six years of um, retirement, they then live another 14 years on average after that. And that is the problem. So so Hmm. part of the problem is that they're retiring with half as much as men. The very much bigger part of the problem, depending on your perspective, is that they are living so much longer without any funds to support them. So there are three key reasons for the super gap. So the first one is the gender pay gap. Female graduates um, are paid 9% less than male graduates across across all industries and sectors. So when you're earning 9% less pay, guess what? You're also earning 9% less superannuation, which you know, obviously makes a really big difference over time. So that we firstly, we have the gender pay gap. The second uh, issue is that, of course, women step out of the workforce to have children. But, they, I mean, they also step out of the workforce for other reasons, to look after, you know, elderly parents, sick relatives, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, but primarily the, the biggest contributor to lack of super is the fact that women step out of the workforce to have children. And for those who don't understand, when you step out of the workforce to have children, not only are you not being paid a salary, but you're also not being paid superannuation, right? Now, the third component of this super gap picture is the fact that we have a society and infrastructure that does not encourage women to return to work after having been on maternity leave. So not only are women stepping out of the workforce and not earning super when they have their children, but they're then not returning to work. Now, we can see this this plays very, very clearly, a uh, very clear picture, because if we look or if we think about the cohort of women aged 18 to 64 years old, so those in the accumulation phase of their lives, and there's 7 million of those women in Australia, okay? So 7 million women aged 18 to 64 there's a whopping great big 40% who are not in the workforce. That's 4-0. Not 1-4, wow. but 4-0. So 40% of women aren't working. 36% of women are working part-time or casually to accommodate, you know, family responsibilities, etc. So when you're working part-time or casually, you're contributing fractionally to your super, if at all, right? So therefore, the multi, multi, multi-billion dollar question becomes, if you are a, a woman and you're in that 76% of that you know, cohort, how exactly are you supposed to increase your super? So that, that is the fundamental problem that our society faces. And because this problem has not been fixed at a structural level, either through policy or, or what have you. This is why the superannuation gap does not change over time, right? So where where are we now? Well, it's it's pretty dire. The fastest growing demographic of homeless people in Australia is actually the 55-year-old woman. 
40% of single women retire into poverty. And as a broad picture, one in six women in Australia retires into poverty. One in six. So, you know, I think for a country as rich as ours, on so many fronts, you know, we are rich in resource, we are rich in talent, we are rich in brain power, we are, we are rich in financial services and particularly superannuation, I think that this, to have one in six women in Australia retiring into poverty after a lifetime of service and care, you know, for others, is nothing short of disgraceful. Yeah. So now that I've finished my sermon, <laughs> um, so then the question becomes, well, what do we do about it, right? And the, the thing is, is that with, with women being so, you know, looking after the generations up, down, sideways, you know, they're not contributing to their superannuation and all, all this work, right, all the childcare, looking after the elderly or doing domestic duties, et cetera, that all comes at a cost to their income and to their super. So, and if we put a dollar value, and you mentioned this in your intro, Will, if we put a dollar value on all that unpaid work, we would add $2.2 trillion to the economy every year. So I looked at this and said, well, you know, I think it's very clear that the rate of change we're seeing from a policy perspective or a corporate perspective, whatever, is glacial. And glacial is a very generous term. So what can we do today to start changing retirement outcomes for women and, and for men as well? Because there are, here's a fascinating fact, there are 2 million women in Australia who do unpaid work. You know, they're, they're looking after kids or, or, or whoever. But there's also 900,000 men. And I was actually very shocked when I learned that figure. I didn't realize or I, that it would be such a, a high number. So, you know, if, if you're in those, in, those, in those groups, what do you do? How do you actually contribute to your superannuation? So this was the genesis of super awards. I thought, well, you know, people in those positions, they, they're still, they're working, right? And they still have to buy things. They have to do the grocery shopping. They have to sort out insurance. They have to buy, you know, clothes, new sneakers, medicines, whatever. But why don't we find a way to reward them for it? And so Super Awards was born. And Super Awards is an online shopping platform where when you purchase at any of our 400 retailers, you receive cash back from the retailer into your existing superannuation fund. So just playing that out, let's say I go shopping at the Iconic because I need some new clothes for my, for my children. Let's say I spend $100, the Iconic, not me, and this is the key part, the retailer. So the Iconic is paying $4 into my superannuation fund. Wow. So... The idea is it's such a simple but effective strategy because, as you mentioned, throughout this whole kind of infrastructure, we have such a huge super gap for women. And that means when they retire, they'll retire into poverty. Right. But the structure that you have set up with super rewards allows them to continually add to their super fund just doing everyday things like buying clothes or buying groceries so that at the end there won't be such a staggering amount um, of difference between super as you mentioned it, it was roughly costing 2.2 trillion dollars mm -hmm. that's right could you tell me a little bit more about what inspired you to think about 
using a shopping platform to help alleviate this problem of the pay gap? Well, I mean, it was, you know, quite straightforward. I thought, well, you know, we've got, with with women, you know, being unpaid in their work to the value of $2.2 trillion each year, they've got two things. They've got responsibility, right? You know, they're looking after the young, the old, the sick, the house, the, you know, whatever. But they've also got purchasing power. So women make 80% of household spending decisions. So let's join those things together and create a way in which they can be rewarded into their superannuation. And that was it. Hmm, I see. So, Pascal, after running super rewards for the amount of period that you have run it, what would you say is your biggest advice to entrepreneurs across the world? Ah, gosh, what a what a great question. And and I think I promised you when we, when we spoke previously that you can, you know, every day I will give a different response to that question because <laughs> yeah, definitely, it really <laughs> depends on the day. But I. You know, I, I've got many tips <laughs> and, you know, pieces of advice, but I think the one that I would always go back to is focus on the things that make you money within the business. You know, it's really easy to, as an entrepreneur, right, because you're you're doing everything. You're doing the sales, you're doing the marketing, you're doing the accounting, you're doing the compliance or whatever. It's really easy to get sucked up in or and potentially overwhelmed, right, by the to-do list, which never seems to shrink. But as a rule of, not even a rule of thumb, but my rule is, is that, you know, if I look at the 20 things on my list, I just pick out the three or four things that I I know are going to bring some money into the business. Now, whether that is talking to a client or following up on that proposal or whether it's submitting a grant, you know, application or, you know, working on the contract which needs to be signed so that you can invoice the client, whatever. Or I always focus on the things that are going to bring money in the door. Where would you draw the line between solely focusing on, on those activities and activities that are good for the long term but not necessarily will bring in the short-term cash flow? Yeah, so I, th- I think what you're referring to there, Will, is a sort of the differentiation between working in the business and working on the business, right? So working in the business, yes, yep, help get cash uh, in the door and everyone can breathe a bit easier and then you can decide what to do with that money. But in terms of working on the business, I find that you, you need to get to a certain you know, number of hands around your people, able to assist, etc. because you might be a couple of years into the business that you fully understand how your business works and what are the levers that you can push and pull to make change. But uh, being able to work on the business, I, I do think requires resource, so people around you to be able to do those do those things and time i you know some being able to step away from i don't know doing the packaging or <laughs> or ordering the the widgets whatever it might be to sort of take, take a bit of a helicopter view above and say okay is this working is it not is that person you know working out as we had wanted them to is he or she meeting their targets gosh you know what if what if i did xyz well, i wonder what that would do to our sales so it's it is a very tricky thing to to move from working into on the business and you you typically hear it said so often by 
entrepreneurs and small business owners, right? I mean, it's different within corporate life. Uh, Typically, if you are head of a department or a chief, something or other, then you're doing less of the execution and more of the the working on, which makes a big difference. But as an entrepreneur and small business owner, there it's very, very hard to separate those those two roles. And so for me, I find that, as I mentioned to you previously, uh, my of my working on the business tends to come after hours, late at night when <laughs> my phone has stopped ringing and my the emails have stopped flooding in. And and I often find for me that it's in the the process of putting board reports together that I need to just take that step back and explain what's happened or what's happening in very simple terms for, for people who are not nearly as, you know, involved on a daily basis. And it offered me, it's that act of putting into very simple terms that I have the, the crystallization or, or the realization of the, of this pattern or theme, etc. that, yeah, that, that helps me understand what I need to do next, you know, in order to lift revenue, decrease expenses, etc. Yeah, I see. So if I'm hearing you correctly, the idea is as a founder and an entrepreneur, you're always wearing so many hats, mm-hmm. particularly at the beginning. And it means that you always have to do this constant balancing act between focusing on working on the business, but at the same time, you got to make sure that cash is coming into the business. Yep. And what has worked for you is to work on the business during after hours because that's when the phone stops buzzing and right. you could actually concentrate on on working on the business. Th- that's exactly right. And, and that's, I mean, that's the time, you know, my children are in bed and <laughs> I don't have little people running around. And it is really, that's the time when I also get to not just write the reports or, you know, document what has, has been happening or what we're doing next, et cetera. But when I get to do some like analysis on, analysis on various metrics and or I take a look at that spreadsheet in a different way just to cross check my 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 you know what I think is happening and just see if I'm right or not so but definitely I need some headspace and and no distractions to do it yeah so do you have a priority list where there are certain activities that you will always prioritize over others so for example marketing or sales over accounting or Things like that. I will always prioritize marketing and sales above accounting. I'm, I'm sorry to the, all the accountants out there. I really am. I really am. But that's, uh, well, A, my background is in marketing. Um, B, I'm very good at it. But C, it is, it is the thing that is going to get money in the door. And so, you know, accounting is, is useful. Absolutely. But it doesn't have the, and accounting tells you a lot of things, your key business metrics, but it doesn't have the same, you know, completing my BAS or, you know, signing off the you know, financials is not going to bring money in the door. Yeah, I get your point. So it's just, it's not supposed to be a complex oh, no. thought no, around no, it. No. It's just, it doesn't bring money. Or yeah, not. yeah, exactly. And so that that's that's my litmus, right? And so it doesn't mean I'm not going to do it, otherwise, <laughs> otherwise I'm in a lot of trouble. But it does mean <laughs> that of, of, of my list of five, as, as you mentioned, if the first three things are marketing or revenue-oriented, I do them first. Yeah, absolutely. And then the others can come later. Yeah, I see. Pascal, what were your challenges coming in from a marketing background and starting a tech startup? Well, probably my biggest challenge is that I I don't code myself. <laughs> I'm not a coder. I know a lot about tech, more than enough to be a little bit dangerous, but I don't 
code. So, you know, you are relying on a good tech team in that instance to do the right thing and deliver the things to make it all work. And lastly, where do you see super rewards over the next five years and what's next? Yes, well, I certainly see us with a bigger team. I see us with lots of different partners in terms of corporate partners. I see us internationally. So they're, they're the three things on my hit list. And of course, there's a, you know, a thousand other things on that list as well. (laughs) But they're the three big ones, which I think are the most uh, salient for this audience. And just a comment on the international bit, you know, people, people think that superannuation is specific to Australia. And it is, although New Zealand has a superannuation system and Singapore does as well. But did Listeners know that there is a, you know, I spoke about the super gap where women retire with 58% as much uh, super as men. This statistic is not unique to Australia. No matter hmm. where you look globally, you know, in which uh, continent or country, there women retire with about 40% less pension or, or retirement monies than men. So yep. certainly a big opportunity out there that's for sure yeah absolutely so thank you so much for being a part of the genesis of startups today pascal you're very welcome will thanks for having me so our audience i hope that you found it incredibly valuable what we talked today about focusing on the cash flow of your business if you'd like to learn more about pascal or about super rewards feel free to drop us a line on linkedin facebook or twitter until next time